podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just before we start, we want to let you know that for the 23-24 season, the Anfield Wrap is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised Liverpool fixture over the course of the season. So instead of relying on dodgy streams, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. This season, Green King have launched the Green King Sports Instagram page, which will be home to fan content, including a little bit of me and Neil uh, doing some predictions that probably aren't right, uh, loads of deals and competitions throughout the season. They've actually already given away Champions League final tickets. I wish I'd have missed, hadn't missed that. And signed shirts so you don't want to miss out. So drop them a follow on Instagram and you'll be the first to know about all this. And also you'll be helping out the Anfield rap as well. So that is Green King Sport Instagram page if you give them a follow now. Now, on with the show. It's the Anfield Wrap. It's John Gibbons hosting this week as Neil Atkinson tits about in America. Um, <laughs> I have got Phil Blundell. I have got Rob Gutman and a man who's never heard that in an introduction to one of his podcasts before, Dave Powell. Dave, thanks for coming in. Um, we normally do these shows one-on-one. I thought I'd invite some friends. They couldn't make it. So, uh, uh, he's on fire. Know, I'm, really, I'm having that. a great time. Oh, this is what happens when they let me loose. Oh, I know. <laughs> See ya, come. We're having a ball here already. <laughs> come home very no, soon. Thank you for having much me. To do. Yeah, um, no, I've, like uh, Rob says, good to put faces to names. <laughs> well, we'll see how you feel by the end. Don't be too mean. <laughs> no, we, oh. we won't. I will, uh, and we will not shoot the messenger. Yeah. Although, although um, you know, we, we will like to every every now and again. So basically, uh, for those who don't know, because we're putting this out for free, but behind uh, our very, very um, cheap and well-priced paywall uh, we do lots of fantastic shows where we get um deep and dirty into lots of things including the exciting words world of football finance and me and dave have been having chats ever since the announcement a year or so ago it's almost a year to the day actually isn't it dave where there was the announcements that liverpool would be uh, sort of for sale partially for sale uh, there was a bit of uh, to and fro and over over what that might be but there was a sales deck um created um a year, almost a year or so to, to the day and so me and dave have been having a little bit of chats uh, uh, since then um and we thought we'd sort of open it up but what's what's interesting to me about the right now and i'll, I'll sort of start with you rob is that a couple of times it's looked like it's close to the end of the road for FSG and I've put a couple of examples here. There's the Super League one where as well as it being very damaging rep- reputationally for them and they had to apologise and it felt there might be no way backward for, for supporters. It also felt like it was a bit of a gamble to try and increase their investments and, and increase the value of their investments. So where it didn't, when it didn't work, you thought, oh, where are they here? And then there was the announcements, as I say, a year ago, which felt like either the end or, or a step toward the end but it's funny now sat here where it feels like and, and life can surprise you and football can surprise you but it feels like FSG are almost more sort of cemented than ever would you agree? Yeah 100% would I, I mean if you look for you know cusp moments where they where they would have been thinking about whether they should stay or go I have, I've wondered if, if you were in the in one of their, their boardrooms in Boston at the point City got off Last time, do you remember when they That's had another time? Yeah, well, another time we're, where we're they had, like, it was a theoretical what, one or two year Champions League ban, big big fine, and it went to the court to cast, didn't it, uh, in Zurich or wherever it is, and City got off. This is I'll never forget their original pitch back in 2010. I think it was was they they put they put by by implication a lot of store by uh, FFP and its emergence and how that would regulate the market and how that would mean you couldn't buy success and they thought their usp was their business smarts and they could which was based on their their deck well their decades worth of combined experience and they could gain a competitive edge using that <laughs> but they had to have this regulation in the market for that to apply clearly that didn't apply in reality during the, the course of their tenure and i think pre-clop they must have been thinking if this is one of the cusps Bloody hell, we've been working, been tirelessly working, improving the revenues, and City just keeps spending the dough, and there's no regulation. What, what are we in it for? Then they appoint the best manager of his generation, arguably, in Jürgen, and things seem to work out really well. And I think that would have, that would have sort of calmed them. But, I, but your question is, are they more cemented than ever? I think yes, I, and, and I think 
it's possibly to do with the, the direction of travel in the game, and I may contradict myself several times as things occur to me during the course of this, because I'm will. not thinking... I've, I've stopped myself thinking about <laughs> crap like, th- th- like this, th- <laughs> quite <laughs> frankly, to preface this show on a daily basis too often these days. But I do think there's a sort of levelling out going on. Um, you know, fans, are, the FSG out hashtag brigade, you know, I, you do think... Just define what you want them to spend because we were quite close to spending what you want them to spend last summer without sort of being too the gutter show about it. If we'd written out that check and been allowed to on Moises Caicedo, that's another 110 million on top of the 150 they did spend. I think you probably wouldn't have done grab a yeah, but yeah, you yeah. can knock 40 off, yeah, yeah. But they might have bought a defender, maybe not Levi Colwell, but they might have bought. Yeah. So I think they would have spent. Clearly north of 200 million, or maybe, okay, you've got to take off some, some sales coming, but north of 180, 190 net, whilst also being amongst the top three wage payers in the league, where they certainly have been or there or thereabouts. So you're kind of getting to thinking, well, what do we want? Um, do we want Newcastle's owners, for example, notwithstanding the... Uh, <sighs> What's the word? The, the bad aura around the Saudi League and, 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 and Mohammed bin Salman and, and the whole regime there. Notwithstanding that, can Newcastle do a city with the money they've got? I don't think they can. I think they can buy themselves a seat at the table, but I don't think they can necessarily move themselves effortlessly past a Liverpool or an Arsenal anymore. The thing with Newcastle is that it's their approach to me doesn't ever feel like it's been that of cities. But also, it also doesn't feel like... But it can't be, It though. can't be. But the Manchester City thing with Abu Dhabi has always felt like Manchester City, their top priority. Are Newcastle even the second priority? I think Newcastle, uh, Saudi Arabia's two priorities are World Cup and their own personal league. Now, the, the, their league And might, that's only just football that, Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Their league might not quite go as, as planned. It might They might just bid it off now they've basically got the World Cup. So you don't know how that's going to go. But at the same time, it doesn't feel to me like Newcastle are top priority for their owners, which I I mean, I know they've got other interests, FSG, but it doesn't feel like they sort of go, well, you're secondary to that one. Every, every one of them seems to be like, right, we're going to manage this as well as possible. Like, it's not... Well, we're their most valuable asset, aren't we, in their portfolio, I think. Is that right? By some some way now, I think. Yeah. I think you obviously the Red Sox for a, a good long while, I mean, you think they're... The overall empire of FSG is probably worth about ten billion. Um, Liverpool equate for the best part of half of that now, I would imagine. Uh, and I had this conversation with Gibber before now about so the Premier League is in terms of interest around the world from um, growing markets. It never used to be so popular in America. Now it is. It's booming. Uh, other emerging markets, etc. Whereas baseball still only appeals largely to the North American market and that's shrinking because the games are long, the seasons are 162 games. It's not this it's not short form content that you that kind of younger generations want to get involved with. It's harder to market. So in that so while it's the value still grows, it's kind of minimal, whereas Liverpool's continues to um kind of thrive and, and boom and that's that's going to be the direction of travel for a while I mean it'll be I think in, in the next three or four years there'll probably be a couple of billion difference in terms of what the Red Sox and Liverpool are worth so I don't know why you know FSU would be emboldened to kind of alight themselves of, of, of Liverpool uh, anytime soon um, but yeah I mean it's you touched on the Newcastle thing um, before Rob about City got the jump on everyone in terms of doing everything they needed to really to get the wheels in motion for success before FFP really arrived and it had no teeth. Mm. It's had no teeth since, I mean, UEFA have had to go back to the table, revise it, um, implement new um, squad cost ratios. I I think eventually there'll there'll be some element of a um, salary cap which will be introduced. It won't be, it's very difficult to do it uh, in the confines given the fact we've already constructed this league um, which is very hard to put a salary cap in in place um, because of the the damage it would do to you know the, the, the things that already exist in there the the certain levers that would, would be kind of be activated it's it's almost impossible to do but you could do a luxury tax but then again like they do in baseball but some teams would be, city some teams tail, would be quite they, happy yeah. to pay over and above but it has to be some kind of element of so the idea being one of the ideas I've seen is a kind of a luxury tax but where um, the money is then filtered back into the other rival clubs, so um, therefore swelling the puck. But 
if it'd have to be significant because I mean, if it's going to be five million, six million, they'll say, yeah, that's fine. We'll we'll, we'll pay that to each every, each and each and every one of you if it means that we get to land. <laughs> um, but a lot, I'm always fascinated by the idea of a, of a wage cap, and it has to, but it have to almost be a universal way, worldwide thing to work because otherwise there's a competitiveness issue. Isn't and that's it? why it works in America because yeah. it's one territory, yeah, even though it's called the World Series, it's it's one country. Yeah, that's uh, right. Apologies to Canada. The big. <laughs> I mean, uh, there once upon times was a, a wage cap in this country. Jimmy Hill famously, uh, I know he, he breached the wage yeah, cap, didn't yeah. he, back in the, in the 70s. I mean, if you think about it, the, 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 the free market in wages that has, has been you know, exponentially grown in the last couple of decades or so, it's money going out of the game. It's in the game. The biggest win for the game would be to force through a wage cap. In my opinion, because you you could suddenly bring all the money back. Well, you, you just cap it. The players are the, are the, the individuals getting richer and richer. Problem is, though, there's too many ways around it. And you know, you look at Manchester City, for example. Manchester City could get around it by employing players' wives and girlfriends as cabin crew. Th- yes, but it w- there are ways around it. But look, let's put it this way: it works in America, and I'm sure they're not soft at trying no. to get around it too. So I, th- I think with increasing rigor, I mean. <laughs> these things are getting easier to monitor than they were when people could take money suitcases full of cash years ago and this that and the other things are a lot more digital now so I don't know I I, I don't say it can happen but if I if I was at the top of football if I was FSG one of my big wish lists would be that that would come in during our tenure but what's interesting Phil is that it hasn't and they've stayed and and you look at what happened what you know Rob, Rob talks about what they talked about you know, 10 years ago and what they expected. Um, they didn't quite bet the house on FFP, but I think it's fair to say that they expected it to be more, more robust and more strongly defended or Im- imposed, uh, implemented, th- that's the word, than it has been. See what you want about Neil, but he knows words. Um, <laughs> than, than it has been. And they also came to win and they've won. And then the Super League things failed, and everything sort of like that. Obviously, COVID, which was which was an interesting time for for any sort of business owners who aren't also countries. And so, I guess what I'm saying is, there was a perfect moment for them to ride off into the sunset. Not least making a huge profit. Uh, they bought the club for three hundred million pounds. I would guess even a couple of years ago, it was it, it had been. You know, five times profit if they if they'd have sold it, um, four or five, whatever you whatever you were sort of want to say. It's a, it's a decent it's a decent return on an investment, and they are an investment company. So the fact that they didn't at that point, and actually, you know, showing little sign, albeit for a very brief window, which we'll talk to Dave about in a second, is quite interesting. Yeah, I think there's a line in Dave's Substack piece that Henry saying something along the lines of, "Well, what have we sold in twenty years?" Yeah, and that sort of makes me wonder what their actual exit strategies as such like we in our head think that their exit strategy is to sell Liverpool is the individuals there's just there's that many individuals within FSG that the far more logical exit strategy to me well they've even contradicted each other if you talk yeah, about the, exactly. the chairman and what he said when it first exactly. came out there's, the so many, there's so many different people wanting different things who are different ages like I'm pretty sure well you know um, Tom Werner and John Henry I think there's is there about 10 years between them something like that they're very not, different experiences. They're very different experiences. Are their shares quoted, people. by the way, on, the, on Wall Street? Ooh, I don't well, know. Their percentages. Can you, can, can you buy, are they on the stock oh, market? I don't think so, Dave. No, 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 they're not. They're private, I think. They're very, I mean, you talk about, about that getting any subset. They're very um, careful about who yeah. they, uh, they let in. But that's yeah, sort of what so. I mean about exit strategy. Is their exit strategy as individuals, not as a big... Do they, do one day do they just sell all their assets, have all the money, and dissolve the? It's share value. That's what I'm getting at. It's, it's share value. And if you, yeah, the absolutely. Assets, yeah, that's, you can keep high assets that yeah. keep appreciating. If, if it increases your but share then, value, do they not sell out when they want? When they when when each person wants out, is the best strategy not for them to sell what they own and li- we'll liquefy the assets and liquefy their own personal assets. Dep- that feels in in light of everything they have done for the last sort of 15, 20 years. That just feels the most logical thing, which is why. When this, I remember this story breaking, and I was like, "This didn't make a great deal of sense to me." I was, I wasn't sure when the that athletic piece came out. I remember reading it, and I was like, "This doesn't make a great deal of sense to me." Not necessarily because of that, just because I didn't really see what was in it for them just getting rid of Liverpool. They just, they'd end up with more money, and then mm. they'd have to buy 
they presumably just buy more, it. reinvest it. Mm. And is that, are they going to reinvest it in a better way? I don't know. They'd be leaving a lot of money yeah. on the table. And, and ultimately, there are, their business is value creation. It's not um, yeah. looking at profitable businesses yeah. and, 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 and creaming the profit from that. They, I mean, they have so many strands to what FSG is. And, and there's always this tendency to look at FSG as John Henry and Tom mm. Werner, who are both two, two men there, in their yeah. 70s. And that's kind of where the end of the road comes. It's not this is kind of a generational business, which is in the business of value creation, which is will ultimately the ultimate aim is to become the biggest sporting um, kind of portfolio in the world. You know, and I, you can see by the PGA investment that they're trying to make, that's going to be a, an investment for the next 10, 15, 20 years if that comes off. You know, in terms of the growth of the game, it's going in different directions. They invest in uh, that Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods' uh, golf thing. They'll buy an NBA team in the next five years. Um, as soon as that expansion franchise comes on, they, they're in the business of growth. You know, there's going to be the occasional need to realise um, capital for acquisition. But like ha- happened with the dynasty deal, I mean, they they needed a a, a fix to pay down some of the bank debt accrued by you know the infrastructure redevelopment. Easiest way to do it: bring in another partner, pays that down, gives Liverpool more cash flow. So there'll be so many options available to them for. Um, for the next acquisition project, and I imagine that'll involve um, calling, you know, a capital call for some of the existing partners that are with them, some of the private equity firms. Let's not forget that Redbird are in there for eleven percent. They're quickly growing into one of the most prominent um, in sports investment firms uh, in the world. You know, owning AC Milan, and that that balance sheet there has been turned around completely, and they've achieved competitive success. I mean, Toulouse, they you know they are quite so. There's they've got a lot of people with a good track record of delivering success so that'd be the way they go as you say Phil I don't the sale never really made a ton of sense um, right now it's I mean John Henry said in that initial um, Boston um, Sports Journal interview that we're not going to be in football forever I mean no one's going to be in any investment forever you know but they'll be in in it for as long as there's um, value creation and I think Liverpool's got so much it's it's the American investment private equity market sees European football is heavily under-monetised um, compared to where it could be. Uh, and I think we're going to see more and more value created as Premier League's next broadcast cycle is four years as opposed to three years. And the main reason for the high values in American <coughs> sport is because broadcast rights are sold for 10 years. Um, there's no pro- relegation promotion, but relegation promotion doesn't really affect Liverpool, United, I would say Chelsea, but I'm not, I'm not that sure. Um, uh, anyway, you know, so it is a fairly closed ecosystem, but um, there's going to come a period where those rights are sold for longer periods, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years for the Premier League, and it'll be streaming companies, and the value will boom again. So I don't think you know there's there is huge kind of value creation to be had for Liverpool, and, and that's their business. So that's kind of I, I, it. Never made a, an awful lot of sense, really. I think also they they probably have worked out there's an attritional move towards a Super League. Uh, I, I think the quietly. The fifth Champions League place, which seems likely, I think Opta are putting it 77% at the moment, that there'll be a fifth place. Newcastle and Manchester United having a great go at not getting that. I know, they are, yeah, I know, I know. This fifth plus you can get, can you get another one if you win the UEFA Cup? No. You, so you can't have six. Okay, but, but between those two options, it feels like the Premier League, you know, to go from four to five is a 25% increase in the chance of getting in the Champions League. So, so although we've seen a growth in, in competition with Newcastle coming to the party, that is a direction of travel, adding this potential fifth place. And it, it is a bit... <clears throat> and who's to say we're not talking about a sixth within another couple of years? And so on. And, and, may, so, and we're seeing already with promotion and relegation, the three coming up likely to be the three going down. So bit by bit, attritionally, with the gap in the money and the opportunities, a sort of Super League may be forming. And you may... You know, we may see we're seeing the World Club thing about to expand. You may see the Premier League be contracted from twenty teams to sixteen within five years. I don't know to accommodate. A, well, you say that for but the World Club Cup. But is the gonna, teams in the Premier League would have to vote for it. So there'd be two. There'd be you'd have to get what fourteen votes for it. Which they means, may end up which, bribing the others with bigger parachute payments or something like that. I I just wonder. I just wonder. It just feels to me like the Super League isn't going to go away, but it's definitely not going to come back as one big. Bang thing that upsets everyone. I think it's. I, I think the the Swiss model of the Champions League that we're in is 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 another move in that direction. Attritionally, I'd say, my opinion. So why then, Dave? Was there this you know short window of opportunity, which which you describe it as in your in your excellent Substack piece that that um, that looked like it might be a case? Is it 
you speak to some people and you say, well, Liverpool's an investment and it's always sort of been a little bit for sale in that if someone knocked on your house now and said, here's a million pounds or two million for Rob's, I'll take <laughs> it. Oh, <laughs> 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 Wait, is it. Was it was sort of a little bit like that? Or? I think so. I mean, if you... I think if there was there was interest, I mean the we have now have sovereign wealth funds in play. Private equity comes into the table, to the table in a bigger way. Um, I think if it was well over and above um, evaluation, then they may have considered it. Um, but I think quickly, I think the Super League was bruising for them, um, both reputationally and in terms of future plan, as was the FFP thing. So, but, but I think maybe on reassessment, as things have calmed down, other opportunities have opened up. I think the club will. Cup expansion is going to be significant in the next mm. 10, 15 years. I think that will become um, a huge, huge draw um, and that will be uh, impactful f- for Liverpool. Um, but sports teams don't, in this includes North American sports teams, they don't really sell. And I mean, you look at huge values that were, of teams that sold um, in the NFL, most recent was the Washington Commanders, I think. That was sold because of um, controversy surrounding previous ownership. So it was a kind of a forced sale. Um, yeah, the distress sales. Are yeah, the, they are. Nothing, nothing sold at its peak. No one is... Um, Newcastle. One before was the Denver Broncos, I think, which was, I uh, think, Walmart, the Walmart owner. Bought, yeah, I think. Um, I think that was kind of reached its... Um, I think a few people they wanted yeah. out, etc. But um, largely distressed assets. So the, the Washington Commander sale was deeply toxic, kind of controversial... Um, Previous ownership acquired the by other owners basically made him sell effectively. Yeah, yeah, and and it was um, a lot of pressure was put on Phoenix Suns as another one which um, sold for a high price, but again, toxic ownership. Um, other investors who were on the board with them wanted them to sell, so forced through. But there's nothing, none of that. So if you look at the Premier League, you look at what's been sold. Um, Chelsea was sold. Um, because they had to be unusual circumstances. <laughs> yes. uh, given a sixty-day window to find a buyer for a football club, and that kind of kick-started the market into right. We've got our first valuation for a football club in the Premier League for a long time, and it was two and a half billion for the club. But the curious thing was the one point two five billion for the infrastructure development. So if you pull that together, is that a you know? There's some question of whether whether that's a valuation of plus four billion for Chelsea. I don't think it is. I think the valuation for the football club is two and a half billion. I think that probably still stands. Um, but I think for FSG, it gave them a. It was curious for them in terms of that's the view in America was that, that was they paid way more than they should have done. Kind of Todd Burley and Clear Lake, etc. May say, may think they paid it. Kind of got it for a song, but from kind of investors I've spoken to, they were kind of staggered by the price that was paid for it. But because it was a short, it was a short time frame, short sales window. Everyone had to go. Here's the money. Yes, yes, yes. Um, let's get something done quickly, and that drove the price up really quickly. Um, but so I they think, had to test. Do you think they then felt obliged uh, to so. test the market? Yeah, I think so. To see. If Chelsea's going for that with a potential capital commitment of 1.25 billion on top of that, what are we worth given the fact that mm. our infrastructure redevelopment's pretty much done and paid for? There's a 61,000 seater stadium, um, you know, a rich, rich history, um, fantastic balance sheet, no skeletons in the closet anywhere. Um, what's that worth? And I don't think they maybe didn't get the response in terms of what they're expecting. I don't think that John. Henry and would would sell to a sovereign <laughs> wealth fund. Um, that's, just, that's just a personal view in terms of because I think it flies in the face of what they tried to achieve. And given the fact that they're, they're going to face a battle in other North American sports soon enough, which will allow sovereign wealth to come in and take a slice of the pie, which will make it more challenging for them in other in, in other of their sporting investments moving forward, I'm not too sure whether they'd be too keen to disrupt that. But, um, but yeah, I just think it was a short window. The United sale complicated things because within a week, United were up for sale, and it kind of the all the attention was drawn away from Liverpool onto United. But I think they quickly, from, from people I spoke to, it was a fairly quick pivot from we'll see what the club's worth um, to we want a minority stake. But ultimately, you need to know what the whole value of a club's worth to know. What a part of it's worth. So, yeah. um, it's a bit like you know, in, in certain communities, a house only comes on the market on certain streets like once in a generation or something because families pass them amongst themselves. Yeah. I can't think of specific examples, but it is a phenomenon. As you said, big teams at the height of their powers, peak of their price, don't come on the market, and then suddenly there's one in Chelsea, and suddenly there's a market test case. 
Um, it's almost like you had Liverpool and United, and suddenly a market that's never open is flooded. And, and hence, no one's buying all of a sudden because, because suddenly everyone's going, well, hang on, this value could collapse if not just Liverpool United come on the market. What if what if City come on the market, you know, or, or Arsenal come on the market? Suddenly these five and six million pound valuations might tumble to two and people could have their pants down. I, that could have been part of the thinking. And they've always been choosy with who they do business with. They are risk averse as a, as a business. Um, I don't think they shy away from that. Sometimes in investment circles, if you're risk averse, it means your you know, returns aren't going to be as good. But they are risk averse but they are also value kind of existing relationships and obviously the dynasty deal which they closed in September David Ginsburg who's a former director of Liverpool uh, he's an FSG partner he's their senior advisor so there's kind of simpatico relationships that exist between um, both parties um, and, and and I think that would have been the way it went I, I, they want someone that's either additive or someone that they trust to bring the capital and maybe they can increase that as they go along because at the moment Dynasty's, Dynasty's first investment in a sports team and it's kind of a it's going to be their flagship one I think so I imagine they'll increase their position over time Well ask Dave a little bit more about where we did end up which was uh, uh, 150 million pound investments I just Dynasty ruined your segue there No not at all <laughs> in fact the only added to it I feel only added to it uh, I'm, I'm building the suspense on what you've just said uh, Okay so this where we end up Dave, this £150 million investment from Dynasty Equity, I think it is fair to say that's a little bit lower. I was going to say insignificant. Describing £150 million as insignificant just seems kind of silly, but it's not necessarily, it's certainly not the full sale that um, that was talked about at some point, but not even this kind of investment that's going to you know, move the needle a little bit for Liverpool in terms of what they might have been capable of spending-wise in the short term. But also, you know, what it would mean to, to, to FSG. Instead, we do get this this small investment that was there to sort of clear debts. So why did we sort of end up there? Do you think what is the benefit to the club? And ultimately, is there any benefit, do you feel, for, for Liverpool supporters uh, in the short and medium term for, for this group coming in? I think that, but it, it, first and foremost, it's, it just solves a... Um, uh, the cash flow issue in terms of this, you know they paid down the debt and the interest that they've been paying on on those um, those loans uh, and the bank debt, which means that the kind of the balance sheet's healthier, cash flow's improved, which theoretically means you can spend you know there's there's more freedom to spend in other areas of the business, and that has a knock on effect ultimately to the transfer market, or I think more likely kind of wages. Um, I think wageable this season will go down purely because there's no bonuses paid from last season um, like there was a previous year or oh, not as many bonuses um, so yeah I, I think that it solves a, a kind of an issue in the in the medium term really improves the, the bottom line for, for Liverpool but also uh, I think the it, I don't think I don't know whether Dynasty bring kind of the expertise we talked previously about bringing something else to the table so we talked about Liberty Media didn't we and, and businesses like that where um, there's, there's two kind of sets of investors when one's pa- passive one's active um so Liverpool have kind of passive investment through or FST have it through kind of Arctos sports partners who place the, they they take small stakes in multiple teams and just wait for the kind of value creation and then you've got Redbird who are quite active they bring on board other things other parts of business whether it's data businesses that they own um marketing link-ups like they have with AC Milan and New York Yankees, and they bring those things together and it helps grow the value of the business. So, um, But with Dynasty, I don't know whether there's so much they fall into the kind of the former rather than the latter. Um, they, I went to a conference in New York um, in October and Don Cornwell was there and he's the um, founder of Dynasty and he was talking about potential for increasing their stake in Liverpool and what they want to do further on down the line. They did hint towards having some kind of um, input into the aiding the growth of the business further on down the line. But for now, it was just a straight kind of transaction that gives them a very small piece of the pie. I'm not too sure whether it was the valuation maybe that FSG would have wanted, hence the reason we didn't get any specifics over stake. Um, you know, so we don't really know how much that £150 million or so um, gets them in terms of an equity percentage. That. Yeah, so that's I, not public, that information? The the actual equity stake, I've, you know, nothing... Um, which I managed to get my hands on or, my, or cast my eyes over, um, gives an indication of the actual stake uh, in the, the club itself. Single digits, um, almost certainly. 
Um, but Even the 150 million's not necessarily. They didn't put it out. Um, we just know that. From, yeah, it was given a ballpark figure yeah, yeah, in between, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and maybe that's to protect the um, the interest of, of both. I don't know, but I think the uncertainty over United um, not being sold. I think had United been sold for a price, you know, over and above. <laughs> The five and a half, six billion that was initially looked for from the Glazers. Now they're saying ten, um, which, while it seems really far fetched, I don't think you know. I think further on, they're looking at how much these things will be worth in seven years' time, eight years' time, as opposed to next year. I think um, the, the the sum may have been higher, but ultimately they got what they needed to to pay down the bank debt. Otherwise, you're not just going to sell a bigger part just to raise money for transfer funds because it doesn't. That has no. There's no correlation between spending more on transfers through, you know, selling more of your business, uh, and that increasing the value value of the business itself. It might deliver a, um, a you know, it might mean mean a third player. I mean, I think Liverpool made the top four this this season um, just purely because of what they've done anyway, and they would have backed themselves to do that anyway. I mean, they've done it relentlessly apart from last season, which was last season was a you know a, a bit of a disaster on that front. Um, but I don't think they particularly needed much more. Certainly not. No one's going to invest money just to go straight into transfers, uh, which doesn't has no. There's no guarantee of that improving the value of your business. They're already a valuable business. They're already expected to be in the Champions League. Um, it just solves a problem that they needed, and it gives them a partner moving forward that they know and they trust that if they need to call up more capital to solve another issue, then they don't have to go through such a kind of laborious and long-winded search for investment where they can just increase the position of the person that's already there they trust and there is that kind of commitment pr- existing already I think to do that so I just think it's um, it's pro- that's a really long winded way of saying it's quite a dry relationship at the moment I think so uh, I just think it's one which solves a very uh, real business need as opposed to um, trying to propel Liverpool into the, being the biggest spenders in Europe Shame in it Phil It is yeah <laughs> it, do, it does. It does feel like there's some sort of leveling. And the, look, at the end of the day, from from the fan point of view, it does all translate into how you, how your team's doing on the pitch, and that is always seen as a factor of what you can spend in the transfer market. But we seem to be experiencing a bit of a leveling out. As I said, we spent Liverpool spent enough last summer. And it got me to thinking with all the speculation over Mo Salah leaving, um, and at times just ridiculous sums of money were being talked about. That you think. Liverpool could have had a 200 million war chest on top of mm-hmm. their 150, 200 million war chest. You go, well, they can buy anyone they bloody well like, but but so what? What, what are you going to do with it? We've all got lots of good players. Do you know what I mean? It's Transfers seem to work. And I, have I steered this show in the right direction? Yeah, here, absolutely. pure transfer filth. But, <laughs> uh, Listen to the gutter for more, Rob. But, you, <laughs> but you've got to be shit in the first place for transfers to be impactful for you. Yeah. I mean, look at Man City. I mean, we sit there and you've got a lot of City in there, bloody money year in, year out. How much better are they going to be next season if they spend £150 million? This? They don't spend that much sometimes. No, exactly. They never spend little, but yeah. not that much. You think but, about the additions of Kovacic was well, what... Gavardio's um, a... Great option. Cardio. He's ninety million quid, and he doesn't look better than Nathan. Yeah. You know, and, well, and half the time they're not picking him. No, I, I just think you know it's supposed to be small improvements along the way, yeah. uh, as opposed to be the the best way of doing things. You look at Chelsea; it's a uh, they've taken an you know an absolute sledgehammer to it all, uh, and now they've got to shoehorn in all these guys. You know, apparently from when he arrived, Mudrick was going to be a Ballon d'Or winner. You know. I'm not too sure whether that's going to happen, but um, it's you know there's there is obviously a long game at Chelsea, but these things are. Um, and, and that's the difference there. I mean, they're, they're banking on not spending anything for the next God knows how many years because they don't need to. But obviously, you know, it doesn't. Football doesn't work like that. In a one, they're gambling on inflation in the transfer market. Right, to, the, to my mind, in that you buy somebody for twenty million, they buy. They've done a blunderbuss approach. They've four. committed wages to them as well, though. It's yeah, not, sure. It's not, oh, well, yeah, but if they, yeah, yeah, but okay. But if you've got them on, say you've got these twenty million lads on eighty grand a week, for example, at the moment, because that's about where you come on there, and they're on long contracts. If there's inflate, continuing inflation in the market, the, the player who would have been on 80 grand a week in two years' time, his equivalent might be signing for 120 grand a week, and he might not be a 20 million pound football, he might be a 50 million pound football, just because of inflation in the market, not because of any change in the quality. Mm. So they've done this blunderbuss approach where they could, you could say, they could all turn out to be bums, but, the, but just to be technical about it, but <laughs> the inflation in the market might just take care of the problem they've got. I think that's what they've gambled on. And in parallel, they're gambling on their own success, et cetera, et cetera. But I'd say their worst case scenario, 
That's why I don't think they're quite as mad as it seems. But what theirs is, is a radical new business model, which may go spectacularly right or spectacularly wrong. Long may it fail. I just look at it and wonder why their owners, the the man with no football experience, is the man who's been able to develop this and go, oh, this will work brilliantly. Like, I just don't see how that... There was a bit of of FSG about with that, though, wasn't it? They thought they'd be the smartest people in the room. That's right. So, yeah. I think the smart... I think it's different forms of smartest people in the room, though, like, you look at FSG, it was like, we're just going to try and buy players via these methods. They've done a... It's a completely rewriting of the financial rules, which I just think is a, is a bit different. And like, a hijacking of them yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, uh, a kind of... A way of their own business approach of being quite risk-averse, manifesting itself in terms of football. I mean, they tried to remove as much risk as there is possible in the transfer market mm. by having a look at kind of the minutiae of detail, the data that that might mean that that you can never you can never sire a surefire hit. Liverpool have had a few stinkers, but as the as it's progressed and it's become more um more well oiled that the data machine there's not too many that no. they even, that are, are misses. Even you know? the early days though, it could have ended up going a hell of a lot better than it did. You know, we're what, three and a half years in, we're incredibly close to winning a league title. What five and a half years in, we nearly win the Europa League. There's nearly, yeah. you know, year what two effectively. We nearly get a cup double. I don't know that things weren't going particularly around the league, but <laughs> there was a real thing in the early days that this didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work. But at the same time, it nearly like it nearly did. <laughs> like, and it was it was a it was a really strange period because they came in and they did try to be the cleverest man in the room, and they were probably not aware of their own flaws and the drawbacks of ideas the right they've had and they, yeah they have got That's to hire the, the right people that is the crux yeah. I mean we've got to, we've got to pass some parallel examples to, to, any, to anyone who's I know this is a show which is FSG good or bad discussed but it always comes back to it in a certain sense we've got Everton who had enormous amounts pumped into them United who've con- continued to be big spenders in the transfer market both not making progress, and it's and it's to do with culture and decision making at the top, which you, which you, we almost can't put a price on. I think you can initially, like City hired the best in the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we are just seeing cultures of competency, and I think that I, I think FSG always thought that is our USP is that we can bring a culture of and a record of achievement and and system and and uh, yeah, we can bring that. That is the asset we can bring, and all the money in in I was going to say in China. Is that still a thing? Tea in China. Right? Well, the tea in China, <laughs> or whatever, it isn't going to get get you anywhere unless you have that base competency. I think there's also just relating back to Chelsea and comparisons with, with Liverpool, uh, and there's always this there's a, kind of a narrative which forms around they don't care about FSG, don't care about success, whether or not they're you know they're thumping their chest and you know and singing along with you never walk alone for a game is almost they need Liverpool to win. And be successful in order, to, over a period of time, to be to maintain value creation. Whereas on the flip side of that, Chelsea need success soon in order to pay um, for all the, the, the pay for all the huge amortization costs they're going to incur. And and the different, I mean, they they've banked on being a, a, at least a champion Champions League side, and that seemed like a fair, like a given um, until recently. But now they seem kind of quite far off the pace as others have. Come up. I don't think anyone ex- I mean, expected the Newcastle project to, to to gain momentum as quickly as it did. This season's tough for them because they haven't got a squad big enough to cope with the rigors across um, across all competitions. But um, Spurs Spurs' reemergence also makes it problematic for them. Aston Villa being decent makes it problematic for them. So, but all these things have to be paid for eventually. So there has to be an element of competitive success, and that competitive success for FSG. Everyone says, "Oh, they only can care about top four that's true because the ha- that is kind of the bare minimum needed over a period of time. You can have the odd fallow period where you don't make it because that's just that's just football. But also, you the know. treating it like that way means that you're allowed one season you, out, you, and it's yeah, not a they, disaster. They have to, you know, they, they, it's not kind of shit or bust. Yeah. It's, it's it's there is an element of you are you, know, you can fall off occasionally, but the direction of travel has to be you're pretty relentless in your pursuit of being number one and being as close to that as you can because that's where the value creation comes from and how you b- deliver the commercial revenues, the um, continue to grow the brand which delivers all the interest and the money flowing into the club. You have to be successful because not every generation is just going to cling on to um, past histories and previous glories. You have to keep on driving that forward and being successful. Otherwise, over a period of time, as crazy as it seems, people couldn't 
become disinterested and these clubs can lose their position in the kind of the world standing yeah I, th- I think it's become obvious t- to the to the big it used to be said I remember when when top four became a thing that that, that there were these ownerships like uh, even pre-FSG which are only interested in top four and the Champions League money but I think all those ownerships have come to realise one way you get top four is trying to be top one and the, you know so aim for the stars and fall amongst the top four that's the way to do it and I think they've all appreciated that mm, I agree so they are both taking a risk, then, Dave, is what you would say. So you wrote in, in, in your substack about you do the, the, the sums or, or sort of share the sums around what could happen to football clubs and, and why effectively Todd Bowley's spending how he is and why FSG had a little think about maybe selling and, and, and quickly sort of pivoted on that. But it isn't guaranteed. And, you know, we discussed um, a little bit earlier or you discussed a little bit earlier about, about some of the problems that that both clubs have and, and Champions League not being guaranteed sort of is one of them. I take Rob's point before about expanding to five and maybe even beyond that, who knows. But there's also an interesting thing that you bring up in, in your Substack again about the fact that TV deals in other top leagues are actually falling. And so you can't, you know, you, you think, you think well, that'll never happen to the Premier League, but but I'm sure Syria are when they were the biggest league in the world thought that that sort of wouldn't happen. Same with La Liga. There is the ongoing Saudi League you know, thing that the more attention sort of they get and, you know, they might eventually have all the best players in the world. What does sort of that mean? There's also the interesting stuff around the, the demands for reform in English football and there's a reason why the owners of all the top clubs <laughs> oppose it. It's because it's going to make it harder for them to make money and that's why they don't want it. And then this general idea of of the bubble bursting, which kind of always will be there and I've never met a bubble that didn't think it would burst. And so while the most likely scenario might be that football club that is uh, is worth that is worth three billion now will be worth sort of five billion in the future you actually paint a way to to Liverpool be worth 10 million uh, at some point it isn't guaranteed and so it is a bit of a risk but I guess with any investment there's a risk and they've calculated the risk and decided more likely than not they're going to continue to make money from the football club would you say that's fair yeah definitely I think certainly I mean a lot of what I wrote, I had site recently of um, an investment proposal um, into Liverpool. Um, it was a proposal made by uh, a private equity US firm um, to investors basically around the opportunity that existed around Liverpool. I wouldn't say who it was, it wasn't Dynasty, and it was it's not something which has come to fruition. Um, but obviously, as an investment proposal to investors, you are showing the best, you know, a, re- a great set of numbers that you think um, are kind of achievable in order to encourage these people to invest in this vehicle to then go and invest in Liverpool. But some of it made sense. So um, Liverpool's kind of revenue growth over, I think, between 2012 and 2021 over this nine-year period um, grew at about 12% um, in terms of so a CAGA, so a compound annual growth rate. Um, over the past five years, as a as kind of a small um, kind of portion to look at, I think it's been eight percent, and then that's kind of been uniform across kind of the like big, COVID affected the big yeah. So that that that's been kind of uniform across the big clubs. So um, even at that kind of low eight percent, not the twelve percent that have been seen previously in the previous ten years, if you were to equate that into the next. Um, five to seven years you know the anticipation was in this proposal that it would be by 2030 um a billion pounds worth of revenue and a club that is worth between 9 billion and 11 billion um may seem far-fetched but i and and i thought when i saw it that seems very ambitious um almost um kind of nonsensical just given the fact you know because you can never just envisage these things as more than doubling in price but Manchester City made, regardless of the, the things we think around why they made this revenue today, £712 million in revenue. Mm. Now, that's in 2023. You know, we're talking seven years down the line yeah. now. Um, we're going to have a new TV deal which comes in. This time it's going to be four years as opposed to three years. The, I mentioned that before, one of the biggest things which hold back, holds back um, value creation in the Premier League or, or driving those values forward to be the same kind of value as America. So the NFL, for example, 100 billion deal over 10 years. Um, these broadcasters like surety, like security, they don't... Um, what stops kind of your Amazons, your, uh, 
your dozens, I don't know. Is it D-A-Z-N or Dazen? Oh, Dazone, is it? Is it? Is it? Yeah. I have no idea, so I'll just, uh, we'll go for Dazone, because um, I thought... Phil sounded sure about that, didn't he? That <laughs> 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 that's what it was. in Dazone. Yeah. That's, that's exactly ah, what it is. Is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, my I think gosh. So. I, you know, I, I feel... The Can- is it Canadian? And I'm pretty sure that it's like a weird acronym of Dazone. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. That's like galaxy brain then. My head's just gone before So, yeah, so they thing that stops some of these people coming to the market in a big way so Amazon had the small set of games and they had 20 games in the last cycle um, is that there's a huge cost to get involved in this Sky have been there since 1992 BT which is now TNT all that all that was in place from when did they take it on late 2000s 2013 was I think it? BT was um, oh, really? so that was a huge but all that's in operation now, it's it's kind of the wheels are there. It's in motion. The cost of startup for this, if you could lose a tender within two years, um, isn't isn't that kind of enticing to some of these streaming giants. And the way people consume content now, it's mostly streamed. And the biggest way to drive subscription to anything is live sport. Live sport's the biggest driver of subscriptions to anything, um, and that's what they want. So ultimately, there'll be you know there might be some kind of Netflix of sport um, or Premflix, whatever they call it, but the. There has to be longevity. It's a better name than to zone that. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, 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 I, that. yeah. I might start that up. You know, um, <laughs> I'll see how much I've got in my savings. Um, there's, um, there's, there has to be longevity to the, the deal. Has to be long. Has to be enticing. Has to offer. Um, you know, you, you want to feel like you're getting into something over a period of time, which in, ultimately could grow. Premier League sells in short cycles because they want to realise the next kind of growth rate. But um, whereas if they sold for longer cycles at a bigger rate, um, this, that, that would kind of probably appease clubs in the, in the short to medium term but I think that's where the, the value lies is, is this in, in the boom in, in broadcast rights um, there's going to be more commercial opportunities uh, as clubs grow as brands um, there's, there's more touch points across the world with anything the clubs do now I mean they can reach fans individually Liverpool have more data over um, around their fans globally than most clubs in the world I think so Barcelona I think when they did Spotify deal I think one of the key things that Spotify wanted to know was um, how much data do you have around your fans I think Barcelona were able to say of our supposed fan base of uh, I don't know what if they claimed it like a billion um, it was less than 1% um, Liverpool's was um, in terms of the a more conservative figure around there in sponsorship it was more kind of 25-30% um, in terms of the fact what they know about their fans which meant Barcelona's value of their deal was minimal um, for what they could have got Spotify, they got they got compensated well but given the size of the club and, and the way Spotify viewed it as if you have real data around these fans in all these markets around the world it would be huge value they weren't able to kind of glean the kind of money they wanted to which meant that they had to go around other parts of the business and sell off media assets this that and the other to raise raise money um, so Liverpool in a great position in that in that respect um, and I don't I think on the face of it I don't think that 9, 10, 11 billion will seem that far-fetched in 2 or 3, 4 years because if you look at North American sport we're already pushing values of 10 billion the Yankees are worth 8.5, 9 I think um, obviously I think they're probably the most recognisable marketing in terms of marketing strategy in the world, the Yankees, I mean, people, the Yankees caps sell around the world. And I don't even think people realise what they're They don't realise, yeah. you know, it's just the brand. Um, Look at the rate of growth, though, of LFC. What, what, say Liverpool are worth five billion or four billion today. What was it five years ago? Was it, was it a billion? don't think it was. Uh, yeah, probably, yeah, probably pushing about around about that, really. Yeah, so, so. so in five years, you've got a 500% growth. It's not fanciful, fanciful. To look at a treble or a doubling, we're from from the current base in five years. In fact, it, you could make a case for it being conservative. Yeah, I mean, especially as we've talked about these endless opportunities um, that are still apparent in the in the football market. Yeah, absolutely, and I think there's, there's all there's always there's always strands to what. Um, FSG try and do I think so LeBron James thing I think people will like, oh, roll their eyes at like oh it's mm. just LeBron James you know he's taking a very small it's just a bit of a, mm. a gimmick or whatever but um, the the kind of de- the, devil, the, be- the kind of beauty in that is um, FSG then turned around and made an investment along with Nike and Redbird into his um, entertainment company and those type of content companies are the way 
we go. I mean, it's it, the way, way that will go, so it's digital storytelling, things like that, and that will come to play more of a role for Liverpool as they move forward. And getting in early in all this means they get a jump on most of these teams around them, which means, I think, that, and, and investors see all this, they see the strands to what these clubs have. It's not just about... Here's a team, they finished you know, fifth last year, they've got a great manager who's got a couple of years left in his contract, they've got X, Y, Z, you know, they've got a global fan base. It, it's more about the other things that all plug into this one football club that mean that when it does explode, and it will explode kind of in terms of the, in the US in a fairly significant way, I think, um, certainly just bubbling up just before the World Cup and then post-World Cup, there'd be a real opportunity to maximise the existing relationships that FSG have there. Um I think it'll be really kind of impactful for Liverpool um, and I think the valuations will, will really start to rise there. They'll plateau eventually. Everything that goes up kind of must come down at some stage but I think for a while it'll... I mean, starting to see the slowing down in North America of the valuations of some leagues purely because they don't have the... Like I mentioned about baseball, that's kind of slowed right down. Um, some of the regional sports networks that... So FSG own um, Nezen, which is North New England um, sports network... Regional cable channels struggle as people as cord cutting happens and people go to streaming etc. So it's a big change in the dynamic around around that and, and the MLB has been a big part of of being important to regional sports network, networks. So, but I think for Liverpool they say they're the only truly global brand that they've got. Every, all the other sporting assets they have are fairly regional. You know, everyone knows the Boston Red Sox, but really no baseball isn't hugely popular outside of the US. Um, but yeah, I think they've got. Um, I think they re- they'll realise. I think before anything, I think we'll see other assets that they have around Liverpool go before Liverpool. So, what does this mean for Liverpool fans like you and I, Phil? Um, because you know what's been shown a little bit with the Glazers as well is that that basically football owners sell, sell when they choose to and when they want to, and if they can see the asset increase and now FSG aren't under the same amount of pressure that the Glazers are and I would argue quite rightly because of what the Glazers have have, have taken out there some might disagree that is up to you but um, but they, they've stayed it looks like FSG has stayed is is it better than ever you know in your opinion and can you see a way that this increase potential increase in in value for the football club actually helps Liverpool fans do you see them continuing to invest in the infrastructure like they have so far because they see that as a, as a way of increasing their asset you know like like both Dave and, and, and Robert said in different ways they do need to win they do need success so, so that sort of helps us you know they they never seem to be the type of people who like some people want them to say oh, oh the club's worth five billion now it was worth a lot less so I'm going to chuck loads of cash into this they're, they're not going to do that but you see a way you know, in the future, especially now there is less debt, that they just become better owners, inverted commas, for for Liverpool supporters in ways that Liverpool supporters want just by the fact that they are still here and that the value of their assets has increased. Yeah, I think you you look at what fans want and what fans ultimately want is to win football matches, to win trophies, to be entertained by watching the best players. Yeah. And the, the spending has to some point, to some level, frustrated a lot of people the people who were like well we could get that there and do that there and you know last season last season yeah last season is probably the the best example of well if they'd have just done this maybe that wouldn't have happened yeah. but ultimately the stuff that goes before that may also have happened so but that's not, not also so it's about resources that's that's but most of the time it's not about no, resources I, I, I completely yeah. I completely it's agree with that it's, it's a, exactly it's a lot it's just on decision making and but partially part of the thing is that the resources were being being spread in a way you know the last sort of Five ten years, they built what two new stands and a training ground. Now that isn't free, is it? But no. also, there becomes a point where you are not paying for it. Yeah. Now I don't know when that point is exactly, but there isn't a lot really infrastructure-wise that there's able to do after that because. I mean, they could make the car bigger, but then could, we don't like that. But I don't know how that would ha- like. I don't know how that happens, for example, because you've got a road there, you've got houses there, you've got another stand that's just got houses behind that you probably have to knock three or four rows rows of houses down where's the money where's where's the gain in that when you've got to buy hundreds of people out of their out of their homes that's just not something that to me feels like something that can be done so there becomes a point where it's just like well just to interject that i think my my feeling is that they will go for kind of ancillary development somewhere in the city whether it's so what they do in Boston and, and, pl- and that plugs into the football yeah. clubs whether it's a live event mm. whether it's in a, some kind of arena I don't know they've got a 5,000 seater arena adjacent to Fenway Park 
something which, what can't they do as much as they want to at Liverpool, host other things at Anfield? We could have a smaller stadium where the women team play, but also host concerts. And Potentially. It has to be... Ice hockey. Has to be um, I've just picked a random sport. Yeah, it has to be something which, kind of a, 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 kind of a, a development which entices... Um, whether it's you know whether it's a live music venue, whether it's a whether it's building a new stadium for the women's team, it has to be something which <laughs> delivers greater value than just once every fortnight. But the Etihad um, complex, was there not? Yeah, so, was there so not City talk of a hotel a few years. Yeah, there was. Yeah, I know just go that by, was the right way, by, by the way. Field. Yeah, there was a was site for there? It. there was pictures. They so had pictures. I have to watch, was, I'm pretty sure. Was it, they, not, they, was it was their not, pictures, not mine. Was it not where the shop was? Was it not where the shop was? A little bit further up. It was further up. It was on the next corner. Oh, I know where there's. There's nothing there there's now, no, is there? Absolutely yeah. nothing. Okay. Not a hotel. I'm just glad I didn't the imagine that, to be honest. Not a hotel. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about finding ways to um, <laughs> deliver kind of value. So if you can play, Liverpool's reckon, I mean, it's the heartbeat of the city, etc. Um, so you've got uh, ancillary development around the city, which links back into the football club, which then delivers revenue um, year round, several times a week, you know, or you know, 365 days a year. Um, would be something which would make a lot of sense, I imagine. Um, I've, I've heard Sam Kennedy speak about this previously. He was kind of president of the Red Sox. He's a partner in FSG. He he said that limited in terms of what they can do, as you mentioned, Phil, about expanding on Liverpool, uh, expanding on Anfield, but there are other elements that they could look at. I mean, they've got this Fenway Corners yeah, development around done a lot Boston. Of work it's huge, yeah. So there's, there's lots and lots of ways for them to, to deliver revenue. Then I suppose there's a... I remember when they bought the NFC tickets in and they were trying to get people in the ground early. And it sort of comes out of that Fenway corner thing where they put a lot of a lot of businesses, I suppose, around and bars and restaurants and stuff around Fenway Park, haven't they? Is that that's the thing. Yeah. It's a I boulevard, re- isn't I, it? I, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. But I remember when they were um they basically trying to get people to go in the ground early by going, Look, it's two pounds a pint just so you get in early. Yeah. And everyone went mad because it was taking money out of the pockets of local businesses. So there's a, yeah. there's a real tough um, pinch point of what is a good idea and what's a bad idea, really. Oh, 100%. And that's, that's, and that's why yeah, I'm you've got little, to find this. And that's why I'm a little skeptical, Dave, on, on some of these figures because, you know, 777, who we've not got time to get into, but they have a laugh, aren't you, Dave? Uh, Dave's writing about them now as well. He's writing about Everton. Um, good for him. Someone has to. Um, can't all be the esque. Um, <laughs> Where was I? Yeah, so basically 777 are saying that, oh, we can do all this stuff and, you know, they're talking about, you know, oh, you know, we could we, we could sell Everton fans loans and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm sure there was a Liverpool credit card at one point and, like, there, there was stuff like that. And so it's sort of had a go, Phil, and we're just, like, in the nicest possible way, less willing to put yeah. up with this shit. Yeah, people just aren't particularly bothered. Like, I look at how much money I spend other than football tickets to Liverpool Football Club. It's... Pretty much uh, nothing. Just your mighty red like, bed sheets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three sets, so it's quite a lot. you got to have one more yeah, yeah. I reckon yeah. the Blues are up for all kinds of shit. I don't know, you know. Oh, I know, I think they are. I, are I they? think they can so be... So are you saying the 777 or something? Yeah, I yeah. think they can get them. I reckon they've Monetize got... Monetise the Blues. Yeah, if yeah. they could sell mobile phones that already had their cars <laughs> as the inbuilt ringtone, it'd fucking make a killing. Some sort of glasses that filter out redness. Do you know what I mean? So your your, your colour spectrum. Gla- yeah, glass, <laughs> glasses. Sort of contacts, that just, yeah, you can't see what red on the spectrum. Yeah. 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 Like, what would you see in this room? What would you see in this room? I'm, a, Chester, I'm a Chester fan for the record. I know, I know, Dave. I'm sorry you're joking. <laughs> just, in case, just in case someone <laughs> listens to this and thinks, <laughs> so, what's, what's, what's the crack here with this yeah. Dave Powell? What's he you, doing? Yeah, you've got to be careful. Much, I've got splinters in my arse to sit on the fence so long. It seemed like a good idea to put this on for free. Now Dave's panicking. Hands across the park. We love our blue brethren. Listen, listen. You know, ringtones are cool. So ringtones <laughs> yeah, are still they cool. Are cool. Polyphonic uh, ringtones. Yeah, exactly. It's um, the future. What was I talking about before all that? Oh, yeah, we're not going to necessarily buy the shit. Uh, d- Rob, finish us off. I've lost me. Um, <laughs> can you see, I'll finish you off. Come can on. you see a way that this is all good for me and you? Huh. I can see a way it's not bad for us, which is a starting point. It is to start. <laughs> well, because we've had it worse. Well, we have had it worse. <laughs> As, as we, you know, we were saying a bit earlier, you can't under you can't put a price on or undervalue competency. And I do think it feels like a, you know, okay, people go, oh yeah, but the Super League, oh yeah, but when they put them ticket prices up and we had to walk out the ground and all that shit, they have made mistakes. But Jesus, the years have gone by. We've seen some bigger mistakes at other clubs. We've seen the shit show very close at hand with with Sam to Everton and with Man United. 
So is it, you know, your question to Phil's, is it a devil you know kind of exercise? I, I do think in an era, we, we said, right, going right, call back right to the beginning of the show, we said FFP gambled the house a little bit on FFP being, having a potency to it, and it didn't work out. Well, do you know what? Just late in the day, without wanting to tempt fate, it looks like it might be gaining, gaining some teeth. Yeah. So finally what they've wished for may be coming true. We looked at, we've looked at Man United not able to buy the elite striker they theoretically could afford to buy. We're looking at Newcastle having to go a bit more softly, softly. Now, maybe start strategic. We're even looking at City not blowing everything on everything. So it may be that as the playing field evens, as we move attritionally towards the su a Super League of sorts. And I think one thing that was lost in the Super League plan was it was, although it was elitist, it was trying to create an egalitarianism within the elitism, in that everyone had, would have a fixed revenue, they'd have exactly the same amount to spend on, more or less, on salaries and transfer fees. I do think the elite of the elite, maybe the world's top 20, are still moving us towards a position where they're all on an e even footing. And I think FSG have got to fancy the pants off that and go, well, if it's all even money, we're the smartest guys in the room. They'll still believe that. Should we believe that? I think their track record says maybe they should. I think the test for them is to come when Jurgs decides he needs to do something else. And only then will we really know. But that's the test of Man City as well. Uh, yeah. Are they the smartest people in the room when they don't have uh, the world's best coach? Ultimately, it probably comes down to who would be able to afford us, what are their interests, and do you want those people? And probably, the answer's probably not really, isn't well, it? Some people, being yes, some people will say no, but what I'm in football for personally is probably not what these people are in it for. Not the people who would buy us, I mean, not the, <laughs> not the people who are disagreeing with me. But anyway, it does look like it is to say a uh, huge thanks uh, to Rob, to Phil, and of course to Dave uh, for joining us. It is the bottomlinesport.substack.com if you want to subscribe uh, to Dave's writings and read them before I steal all of them for the podcast uh, coming um, soon. Uh, the bottom line is also Dave's wrestler name, um, and I stole that joke from Twitter. Um, but Dave, I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for coming in. I have, yes. Um... Uh, just again for the record I'm a Chesterfield <laughs> <laughs> I have I like both Everton and Liverpool equally and other North West clubs are <laughs> indeed available I, mean, I love the Reds Sports Social Podcast Network